Heavenly Father, we are thankful for uh, what you have done for us that we celebrate in this season. And we are grateful to respond in gratitude and generosity, doing what little we can to help you reach this world for yourself. And so would you use our efforts uh, in that this week through the puppeteers as they share the gospel, uh, through their presentations, as we, through our acts of kindness and love, uh, share your love with others, as we would give and sacrifice personally so that other lives would be changed, would you be honored and glorified? And would you help us now to understand in uh, just one more uh, practical way how we can help you make a difference as we wait for you to fix all things. In Jesus' name, amen. So, what if you were able to take a walk with God? Literally, a stroll, you know, down a nice path next to a beautiful lake or something. Let's put it in a nice uh, scene. And you were able to share with Him uh, everything that you wanted. And as I, I would imagine, that conversation would probably begin with you. You would be saying to him, okay, how come this, and what about that, and I always wondered about this, and how come that happened to that, and, that, and what about all those poor people, and then this, and, 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 and if your strength of walking could outlast your questions, which I kind of doubt, but let's just pretend that you would actually run out of conversation of what you wanted to say before you were done with the walk, then what would God want to say to you in such a conversation? Well, I suggest that your walk would have been so long and you would be so tired that he might be concerned that you have a chance to rest, so he's going to make it short. And he's going to say, listen, we've got to get back. I know you're tired. I would like to share something with you. My message to you. Simple, concise, One thing that I would like you to know, four little phrases that change everything. What would the first thing be that God would say to you if he had a conversation with you in the first person? Of course, you know it's on the screen, right? I love you. Now, wrap your little mind around that huge concept. You know who you are. You know your need. You know what kind of shortcomings you have. You know your own sin. And God walks up to you, and the first thing he said, you know I love you, right? I love you when you hide. I I love you that first time. You really knew that you were wrong. I knew you when you were hiding out there. And I want you to know I love you. Right then, right there, right in that moment. I love you. I love you when you run. I, I love you the umpteenth time that you messed up. And you said, listen, no, I'm sorry. I'm sick of this. I've tried. I'm doing my thing. I don't care who's in my way. I'm going. I'm having my way. I'll see you later. I loved you then, too. As far out as you were, and even before you came back. And maybe you're still out there. 
That's what he'd say. I love you. I love you when you quit. You know, some of us have been trying to toe the line for a long time and trying to do the right thing. We're watching other people mess up and run away and do whatever they want. And, and you know what? You get sick of it after a while. I mean, there's so few that are trying to do so much and I'm trying to hang in there and trying to do my part and I'm sacrificing, I'm giving, I'm going, I'm doing. I quit! God walks up to you and says, you know I love you, right? Right where you are. That's the first thing that God would say to you. That's amazing. But he's not done. Because then the second thing he would say to you is, I have taken the first step to make things right. Because you couldn't and you wouldn't. I mean, you didn't even know what you didn't know. You know, even if you wanted to respond to my love, you couldn't. I had to come to you. He might say, you remember that guy Paul that you've heard about that wrote all those letters in the New Testament? He's got this one in, called, that he wrote to the Romans and in chapter 5 he says, I demonstrated my love for you in this that while you were still a sinner... I died for you on the cross. I took the first step. That disciple of mine that knew more about love than any of the other disciples, he was John. He was the one that I loved. I'd say I love everybody. I mean, there was just something special there. And he understood love. And he said, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that God loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. You see, I took the first step. So, he's halfway through the message now. And at this point, if you've embraced this and you, you accept this and you love this, I mean, you're kind of at the end of yourself. You're like, wow, you've got to be kidding. God loved me. Anyway, in spite of all of these things and whatever situation I find myself in, running, quitting, hiding, whatever. And, and then... I couldn't even do anything about it. He stepped towards me and embraced me. And, and I've embraced that. And I thank him. And now I'm kind of, well, I mean, what's left? You know, I mean, forget it. I'm a worm and he loved me anyway. So why don't he just sweep us up into heaven so we can enjoy his presence for the rest of eternity? That'd be cool. That will be cool. Because <laughs> it's going to happen. But he didn't do it. You see, here the message takes a very interesting turn. And the third thing he would say to you is, oh, no, no, no. We're not ready for heaven yet because I want you to help me change this world. Now we got something else really big for our little minds to wrap around. (laughs) God Almighty, creator of the heavens and the earth, the one who just spoke it into existence and sustains it with those very same powerful words, doesn't need you, doesn't depend upon you, but he says, I want you to help me change this world. That is incredible. He doesn't need you, but he wants you to help him. This is amazing privilege and purpose. Joining hands with God to accomplish His will. He 
depended upon us. One of the powerful images, of course, and the realities of Christmas is that God Almighty would come and place Himself in absolute dependence upon Mary and Joseph. First of all, Mary to birth Him and bring Him into the world. And then for them to care for Him and have to flee with Him to Egypt and then return back to Galilee and raise this child with all of the things. I love that song that we just sang because did He do all those things? Did little girls giggle at Him when He walked by? I'll bet they did! Did he fight crying when he skinned his knee? Just like you and I. And in absolute dependence, he trusted his heavenly father and those that he, the heavenly father, placed him in the care of. And he did that so that we would understand that as we participate with him, we depend fully, completely on him as we join him in trying to change this world. This is about purpose for living. It's about a reason to get out of bed in the morning. You're joining God's hand to help Him change the world. Amazing. And why would He do that? What does He want to accomplish? What is it that's supposed to change? Because of the final part of the message. I love you. I've taken the first step. To make things right. I want you to help me change this world. Because. Because in time. I will fix. Everything. This is so. So powerful. And promising. I want to show you the promise. Of this final word. And then I want us to take a look. At what we have in hand. When we understand. The simplicity of. And the power of this one message. So we turn to Isaiah chapter 9. And in Isaiah chapter 9, we read these familiar verses that we often read at Christmas time. For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And of the increase in his government and peace, there will be no end. And he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. You see, the message, I love you, is a message of love. And the message of I've taken the first step is a message of solution. Solving our problem. And then the message of, I want you to help me, uh, uh, help me change this world is a message of purpose because it gives us reason to live. This, in time, I will fix everything is a message of promise. He promises. He is good. And look at what is to come. You see, we've looked at the implications of his coming as a child and his humbling himself into human frailty. And, and our participation with Him in that, but that will not last. Then we see what will be accomplished. Here He says government. This is control, authority, and dominion. This will come to pass because it says it will rest upon 
His shoulders. There will be order once again. We live in in an amazing country. We should be grateful for what we have in all that this country offers us in liberty, in freedom, in opportunity, in abundance and bounty that allows us, like many other places in the world do not have, to participate with God in all that He's blessed us with to help Him change this world. We should be grateful and we should take every advantage of that. But this is not His government. Only one government will really, really work. And it won't be a democracy. It's called a theocracy. It's where God is in absolute sovereign control and reign. And I want to unwrap a little bit with you the implications of what that means. Because you might think, oh, wow, no, then he just takes over. He's a tyrant. He gets to do whatever he wants. And we are his slaves. Look at his promise. He will be called, it says, or His name will be called. This is about His fame. This is about His reputation. This is what people will actually say about Him when He is reigning. As it were, this is His approval rating. This is what everybody's going to say. First word. Wonderful. Wonderful. 85 times shows up in the Bible. 83 of those times are in the context of God and His works. People will be amazed. We will watch Him and say, Whoa! Where did He come up with that? That's incredible! That's amazing! This is what people will say. He, what He does is wonderful. And he's a wonderful counselor. The word speaks of counsel in the sense of purpose. It was used by Jethro, or to describe Jethro's counsel of Moses. See, Moses had walked out of Egypt with these millions of Israelites to take them to a promised land. He really didn't have the administrative skills, seemingly, of what it took. His brother, I mean, his father-in-law, Jethro, shows up and says, What are you doing? Let me give you a little counsel. And he teaches him a few administrative things that cause him to be effective and able to lead these millions of people. The the Lord uses this word to speak of Himself later in this same book of Isaiah in chapter 49 where He says, I have planned it and I will do it. I am capable to accomplish every single intention that I have in mind. What He does will be accomplished, whether you accept it or not, whether you follow it or not, whether you believe it or not, because He is the wonderful Counselor. How is He going to be able to do that? Because He's the mighty God. This is to raise up or restore. It's a military term of mighty exploits. It's used of, uh, of David's mighty men. I don't know if you remember the rather obscure little story of David when he's running away from Saul, the current the king at the time. He's supposed to become the king, but the the, the reigning king Saul is trying to take his life. And uh, he he tries to kill him, so he has to run. He finds himself off in a corner of the world where nobody wants to go, and four hundred bunch of derelicts, really, literally, rejects that were indebted and disgruntled show up to join him and he says to God, like thanks for nothing. I mean like who was this? 
He goes off to what I believe is Masada and he spends his time there and he finds that God is truly his stronghold and his strength. He continues to pursue what God wants him to do. And out of those rabble-rousers come out 30 mighty men whose exploits are recounted in Chronicles and they're, in, they're amazing. There was a day when David is just thirsty for the waters of his hometown Bethlehem and he just whispers kind of a, of a wish that he could drink that water and three of these men go behind enemy lines, risk their lives, come back with a jar of that water for their king just because he was thirsty. These are the kinds of descriptions that are made of this mighty exploit. Here it is in the sense of what he will accomplish in justice and making things right. It's why I say in time he will fix everything. Nothing will be undone. He will fix everything. Well, then he must do it through kind of, you know, lightning bolts and judgment and beating everybody up so it all gets straight. But no, it goes on to say everlasting father. The truest sense of a father forever. The root here is Ab. Or, you know, in Aramaic, when Jesus was in the, uh, in the Garden of Gethsemane, crying out to his father in agony, he cried, Abba, Father. It's like saying, Daddy. It's the first words a child uh, uh, can utter as, as a little baby. It's this crying out to a loving God, the only one that can truly meet his needs. That sense of the everlasting Father means he will fix every, everything in the loving way that only a perfect Father can. And he isn't quite done yet because then he says the Prince of Peace. And this is about shalom. This word is filled with significance, rich with meaning. It means completeness, soundness, welfare. It's why the Hebrews use it as a blessing. It's not just peace like peace on earth. It's, it's this wish that all things would be complete and whole, that your welfare would be the best it possibly can. What he does, he does and will be done completely, perfectly, in the best interest of all those that he loves and he cares for. That will be his fame as he rules and fixes everything. Verse 7 then goes on to say that this isn't just something he's just going to do once either. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. And the zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. He's going to sit on David's throne. That's the, that signifies the promised and prophesied line to bring about this correcting king. And he will do it with justice and righteousness. And the zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. Listen to Ray Ortland. I love the way he summarizes all that I'm trying to get across to you here. This child is the king to end all kings. Saving us from our failure. Lifting us into his own justice and righteousness. He is Jesus Christ the Lord, our crucified, risen, reigning, and coming Savior. And He will not come back to tweak this little problem or that. He will return with a massive correction of all systemic evil forever. That's the best part. Of the increase of His government and of peace, there will be no end. The empire of grace will forever expand. If we live by faith in Him now, accepting His weaknesses, our strength and His folly as our wisdom, 
we will be there to enjoy His triumph, forever ascending, forever enlarging, forever accelerating, forever intensifying. There will never come a moment when we will say, well, that's the limit. He can't think of anything new. Oh, we've seen it all now. No, the finite will experience ever more wonderfully the infinite. And every new moment will be better than the last. And the zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. The word here is of strong emotion. The subject is desires the object. What do I mean by that? In this is God's righteous anger, His jealousy, wrapped up in this concept. He won't just do this. He wants to do this. He wants to make everything right. This is all about hope. That's why I say, in time, God would say, in time, I will in my time, in my perfect way, as the wonderful counselor, as only I can, as mighty God, as only I will, as everlasting Father, as only I would, and the Prince of Peace, as only I could. See, this is about hope. In time, I will. But it's also about justice. In time, I will fix everything. In my ardent zeal and jealous passion for what is mine, which is you, I will fix everything wholly, completely, perfectly in all righteousness and justice as I have foretold, planned, and executed through through all that I have done through my servants and my son on this earth, I will fix everything. Wow. I got a little excited, didn't I? Because I believe that's a promise. What promise? It goes beyond purpose to get out of bed and live. That gives me reason to never give up because of all that is to come. Now, as I said earlier, I wanted to show you the promise of this final word. We've looked at that. Now I want to take a look at what we have in hand if we will understand what this simple message is all about. Look at what you've got in this face-to-face conversation. You have a very natural, compelling, easily remembered way of telling anyone God's message of why you exist, of why this church exists, of why we're here. What are you guys about anyway? Oh, let me me put it to you this way. If, If Jesus were to show up right now, This is what he would say to you. And then you give him the conversation. And it would tell him who God is in his love. And how God sees them right where they are. And how he has responded to them. And how he will respond to them if they'll just give him a chance. You can offer 
purpose and hope for every day, a reason and an eternal motive to help make sense of all that is so temporary. Promise and hope for a future, not just better, not just nicer, but perfect, just, right, and true. And it, it will be more than anything we could ever hope for. Your wildest imagination has never dreamt up all that God has in store for those who love Him. What is that conversation? It's like a giant megaphone which is about to appear on the screen. You get to say this. You probably, if you're just having a conversation with somebody, probably the megaphone thing, don't scream it in their ear or anything. But you see, I'm just trying to say, if, if these words will come out of your mouth to offer some answers, what might God do to help a person understand what God wants to say to them? So I'm going to let you cheat. Grab your little notes there. And on the back side, you'll see it. And if you haven't got it memorized yet, then you're going to keep working on it right now. But what is the very first thing, I want you to repeat after me, that God would say to you if He showed up right in front of you right now and had a conversation? He'd look at you and He would say? Go ahead. Take your little mind and try and wrap it around that big thought. I love you when you run. I love you when you hide. I love you when you quit. It doesn't matter. And when somebody says to you, but you don't get it. Yeah, you're right. I don't. But God does. And you know what He would say? He would say, well, that was a little weak. Number one, what would He say? I love you. I haven't gotten the second one yet. Quit running ahead of me. Then He gets to the second one. First thing He wants you to know is, I love you. And then he, here we go, overachievers. Second step, he would say, I have taken the first step to make things right. It's not written on your notes. You can write it down there if you want to, right? But he's taken the first step to make things right. When you wouldn't and when you couldn't. There's so much hope in that too, right? Because you can share this with people who are going, you know what, I'm just tired of trying. And the answer is, so are the rest of us. We can't do it. He took the first step. Only when He first loves us can we love Him back. Will you get that? Will you accept His love first and then accept the fact that He stepped right into your place, right where you are, hiding, running, quitting? And He's right there. And then, then He wants you to, what? I want you to help me change this world purpose, meaning, reason to get up, hope in a future. So his arms are open wide as he loves you. Your foot goes out as he takes the first step. You put your hands together to say, I want you to help me change this world. And then the final thing he would say is, in time, I will fix everything. But I want it now. I get that. I get that. I know. I mean, part of my getting so excited about that is that I wish you'd come back now. But that's the beauty of Christmas. Right? Isn't that the beauty of Christmas? It's worth waiting for. You know, we had to be told as kids, you know, oh, no, 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 you know. You, but it'll be worth it. It'll be worth it. And then comes that moment finally and, yeah, 
I got what I wanted. Yeah, we got to wait. But it's worth waiting for. This is how we love all. You see, until that moment comes, we get a chance to use these, this one message, these four little phrases to make a difference in all of the people that are around us. We've said in the Advent Conspiracy we want to worship fully, we want to spend less, we want to give more, and we want to love all. And how do we love all? We love all by touching all people with God's message. We take this very simple little conversation that offers hope and truth and promise and love, and we share it. You know why? Because it creates curiosity and questions that incite seeking. Now as I wrap up, don't miss this. This is really important, and it's why I think it's such a neat way to wrap up this message in this conversation. Because I guarantee it will create more questions than you have answers. And that's exactly what you're supposed to do. Why? Because Jesus said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. You see, I don't want you to give answers. I want you to offer answers. You see, because if you just give answers, they can be rejected. But if you will offer a proposition... The possibility that if God showed up and spoke with you face to face, He might say this. That's going to have to be explored. Instead of being rejected, it'll be explored. How do you know He would really tell me that He loves me? Now you've got opportunity. Oh no, I don't know all the Bible verses. Let's see. What's our favorite one? Oh, if I had to have you quote one right now. Let's see. Oh yeah. John 3.16. You can do that one, can't you? For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. You see, how would they... And then you can... And then you say, well, this, I don't know all the answers, but I know a place where you know we're finding more answers and, and you can come and find out. And look at this guy that gets all wacky on the stage, but you know, every once in a while he says something that means something. And you know, you might walk away with... You see, no person other, other than God Himself can save another person. We don't hold the answers. We are held by the One who holds, embodies, reveals, and calls Himself all truth. So start conversations. Many of them. You want to offer an answer. So that it's a proposition someone explores. Because when they seek, they will find. You can't save them. But anyone who seeks after God, God rewards those people who earnestly seek Him. So, what would He say if He walked up to you? He would say, I love you. And he would then say, I have taken the first step to make things right. And the third thing he would say is, I want you to help me change this world. And then, 
in time, I will fix everything. Let's pray and thank Him for that. Oh, Heavenly Father, our words are not enough to express what gratitude we have that you would be willing to first love us. That you would, in your Son, take that first step of humility and humiliation we can't even imagine and subject yourself to all that was necessary to take upon yourself our sin, conquer it, raise from the dead, and offer us new life. And then ask us to join you in changing this world for your purposes. We are so grateful. We would ask you to use us So that in your perfect time, when you come, all those who need to hear this and whose lives need to be changed by this message would be counted in the number of those that have responded to your love. That you would be working through us, using us as instruments to touch people's lives in which you will fix everything. And though we're short of that now, we live in the light of that promise and gratefully look forward to the day when we will enjoy your presence and your power and your expanding kingdom for all of eternity. And so while words are not enough, we ask you to help us use these feeble words to share what we have come to know, to participate with you in all that you want to accomplish. And I pray that if there's anyone here today that hasn't yet understood that you love them right where they are and that you have walked into their garden to find them, that they would respond in faith They would reach back, that they would be filled with the understanding of your love for them and in repentance turn to you, believing that you would change their hearts, make them new creatures, and would you help us to welcome them into a new family they have entered, to join a journey that we are excited to walk, Give us for complaining because we're longing for the day when the gift will be open. Help us instead to anticipate that by being found faithful doing what we're supposed to be doing now. And use us, we pray, in all things for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks.